Franchising is really staged entrepreneurism, right? You have a system and a model that you have to follow. And part of the role of the franchisor is to protect the brand. Welcome to the Franchise You Podcast, where key industry leaders provide education and inspiration. Here's your host, Dr. Kathy Gosser, the director of the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. Well, hello, everyone. Today with me on Franchise U, I have Craig Dunaway. And Craig is the Chief Operating Officer of Penn Station East Coast Subs, which are delicious if you've not tried them. But we'll get to that in just a minute. First of all, Craig, you've had just a terrific career as both a franchisee and now predominantly or solely on the franchisor side. So you told me you were educated as a CPA out of IU Southeast. And from there, though, you actually started your journey into franchising as a Papa John's franchisee. So I'm going to have you talk about that in just a second. That's when the concept was really new. We won't say that because we graduated the same year. So we'll be careful with those dates. But I think that is pretty exciting. But then you journeyed into Penn Station as a franchisee, then started to work for the franchisor while you were still remaining a franchisee. And now you sit in the C-suite at Penn Station. So let's unpack your journey in this world of franchising. So my first question for you is what made you even begin a franchise so fresh out of college? I can't even begin to think about doing that back then. So tell us about that. Sure. No, thanks for having me, Kathy. It's great to great to be with you today. I really appreciate it. You know, when I was a young kid growing up, uh, I was always really into wanting to make money. I was the typical kid in the neighborhood who cut grass and raked leaves and uh, remember a summer picking green beans, which was probably the hardest thing I've done in my illustrious career. (laughs) And, uh, you know, worked at a gym, uh, you know, and it's just, I I don't want to say necessarily that I was entrepreneurial per se, directly entrepreneurial, but I was always really wanting to, uh, you know, do better for myself. And uh, when I was in college, a gentleman and I used to study together and uh, we just talked about kind of the same entrepreneurial spirit of, hey, when we graduate from college, we should buy real estate. And uh, we graduated. I went my way. He went his way. And uh, a couple of years later, it was probably serendipity. He came to work at our accounting firms, our controller. And this was in around 1985. Yeah. Yeah. So it just so happens that uh, another friend of ours was looking at he was a banker. And he was looking at becoming a Papa John's franchisee. And he was looking at it because someone came to him and, you know, talked about maybe uh, him loaning money. And so, you know, he started exploring Papa John's. It was very early on, as you know, back in the mid 80s. And we uh, worked on some projections for this individual and went from why do we want to own real estate when we can uh, exponentially grow potentially and become Papa John's franchisee. So that was our foray into franchising for the first time. So you owned Papa John's for a while, but then you jumped into Penn Station. Why did you move from pizza to subs? You know, it was really great for us. We learned so much, you know, in that time frame of what we did. And frankly, I've I've told people this many times, we really made money in spite of ourselves. (laughs) We, We didn't necessarily understand how the restaurant industry operated and You know, I've never seen a business where it's more pennies oriented. I call it the land of lost opportunity. 
And over the course of about uh, 11 or 12 years with Papa John's, we, uh, uh, I was in Cincinnati every weekend, I should say, and our restaurants were up here. I stayed in public accounting full time and every weekend we would be in Cincinnati. We opened 11 of them over the course of about 12 years, uh, started having a lot of success with it. And, you know, to your specific question about how'd you get involved in Penn Station, uh, you know, you were gracious enough to say we've got great food and we stumbled upon Penn Station and love the food and said, you know what, let's research the concept, uh, did a little investigation, not a whole lot other than taste the food and, and know there were about 30 locations at the time. But we thought it would travel well to Louisville from Cincinnati. This is our home base. So uh, we met with the founder of, uh, of Penn Station, loved what he had to say. You can imagine how I see the world being a CPA. Everything's linear to me and yes, no, black, white. And I just loved what he had to say, his passion for the product, uh, his passion to make money for franchisees. And it just resonated with me. So you sold your Papa John's business and then went into Penn Station as a franchisee. Were you still keeping your CPA company? I was. So I was a partner at a firm in Louisville and, and really had an opportunity over that time frame. I was in public accounting almost 16 years wow. and had an opportunity to work with a lot of successful people. And uh, my background was, was accounting and auditing. So I got to work with some of the firm's larger and more successful businesses. And, and the thing that I knew in public accounting, which public accounting was very difficult and it's hard work, um, but I felt like that I couldn't leverage my value when you're billing out on an hourly basis. You know, you really can't exponentially grow that. You only have so many hours in a week. And if you're not working, then you're not billing your time. And, you know, when I was still young, you know, still in my late 20s and early 30s, I thought I do not want to be billing my time out when I'm 60 years old. So that was part of that entrepreneurial spirit we learned early on with even being a Papa John's franchisee. I can definitely understand that. And a colleague of mine always talks about an accounting background is one of the best backgrounds because it helps set you up to understand any business model. And it looks like that's proven successful for you, for sure. It, it has, and I would really echo exactly what you just said. I, I think that if, you know, if it's a student or a businessman or, or a businesswoman or whatever, if you don't intimately understand a balance sheet and an income statement, even in life, you are putting yourself at a complete disadvantage. You, you have to understand the relationship with numbers. And I was always very good at numbers, but, you know, I knew the numbers always told the story, just like the scoreboard in a basketball game tells the story. Uh, you know, the balance sheet and an income statement tell that same story. So I wanted to make sure that I intimately understood numbers from every angle. And that's one thing is working, you know, in the franchise business that I've learned over the years is to make sure people who shy away from numbers, they have to understand them. And, and even if that's not their strength, you know, we try to work very hard at Penn Station to make sure they understand how important those numbers are. I appreciate you saying that because I do think that that's critical to a successful franchisee for sure. So you were a franchisee at Penn Station. Then you moved to the corporate side, working for the franchisor, and you were a franchisee at the same time. How did you manage all that? Of course, you're used to having two jobs, it sounds like. Yeah. But how did you manage that? It, it was hard. It was hard. I won't lie to you, but I enjoyed every minute of it. Our founder, Jeff Osterfeld, asked me back in 1997 if I would uh, run for the Franchisee Advisory Council that we have at Penn Station. And, you know, I did that. This was a business model to me. I wanted to maximize the amount of, you know, return on investment that we were getting. And Jeff felt like I'd be a good addition 
because everyone else on the face C by and large was an operational focused person. And, you know, what I didn't know at the time was he was interviewing me for, uh, you know, for the president position. Wow. Uh, Jeff went off and, uh, you know, he's he's great guy, very entrepreneur, grew up in an entrepreneur family. And, uh, you know, he decided he wanted to build a golf course. And, uh, you know, he he built a golf course. He started it in 2000 and finished it in 2004. And incidentally, it was voted the best uh, public course in, uh, in Ohio last year. So he did something right. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. But Jeff asked me if I would move up and become president. And, and you know, Kathy, the, the similarities between Papa John's and, and Penn Station were uncanny. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was a focus on the franchisee. It was a focus on the quality of the product. And, and the only difference really is John Schnatter, you know, John back in the mid 80s said, I want to be at 2000 units by the year 2000. And this is when he had 50. Mm-hmm. And, and what Jeff said is I want every Penn Station franchise restaurant to be successful. And so it was just a difference in focus. John had a long-term goal of growth and Jeff had a goal of making sure every franchisee was successful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it is so interesting, the similarities in franchising of all these companies, because keeping that focus on the franchisee and the franchisee's success will definitely drive the overall success of the brand. So that's, that's great. So what made you decide to sell your restaurants and actually take a full-time C-suite position? Yeah, you know, I love being a franchisee. And, but, you know, we had started expanding a little bit in, in Penn Station outside of our concentric circle of Cincinnati. We had ventured into Dallas and we had ventured into Atlanta uh, and some other markets that were pretty far away from us. And in some of those markets, candidly, we didn't have as much success as we we felt like we should, but we could see that the positive opportunities were there for the brand. I mean, you know, we were a couple of hundred units at the time. Mm -hmm. And I took a look at what I was doing and said, you know, I mean, really, I could have made the binary decision to get out of what I'm doing here corporately and just, you know, move back to Louisville and run the restaurants. But I felt like we had so much upside at Penn Station. You know, Louisville, I had 15 and the market could handle two or three more. And I looked at what we call white space where we could put Penn Station restaurants. And I thought, you know, the sky's the limit for us. Our food does not have regional appeal. Our franchisees make a great return on their investment. And this is a brand that can really go places. And so I really sold because I want to make sure I was devoting my full-time attention to, you know, to the corporate side. Gotcha. That totally makes sense. So what did you actually learn about it when you were a franchisee that you think makes you a better COO right now? Oh, you know, when you're, when you're walking a mile in somebody's moccasins, you know, what's going on. Uh, You know, if there's a supply side issue with product not showing up, or the ebbs and flows that you and I know in business after 35 years of hiring and what that looks like and getting business loans and negotiating contracts. It just, it teaches you everything. And when I'm across the table from a franchisee, I mean, at the time when I sold, I was one of the largest franchisees. And so I, I remember a story a franchisee called me one time because we were having an issue with potatoes. And he said, you don't understand what this is doing to my business. And I said, well, I have 15 restaurants and you have five. So I intimately understand what this is doing to your business. I promise you we will get this fixed. And we did. Yeah, I can see, I can see that. That's, a, that's such an interesting dynamic there. So you're away from it now, but what about being a franchisee do you miss? 
you know, it's what I said earlier. It's 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 building a team. I mean, I'm building a corporate team here, but the corporate team that we're building by extensions is, is to help our franchisees. And when you're building that team as your own corporate culture of individual restaurants, you're working with 15 unique personalities and, and helping them really, you know, you, what, what you're trying to help them do is to see the vision of your company. And this is what, you know, it's it's laying out goals and it's also laying out expectations. And, and I used to tell, you know, my managers in Louisville that any female employee who comes in, I want you to treat them like they're my mother. Uh, any male employee, I want you to treat them like they're my father. And I want all of our employees treated like they're your children. And I think if you approach it from that uh, servant leadership first, I think you can get more. You can get more out of it, certainly personally, and you can get more out of it professionally as well. And I think that the, the financial rewards also come with that. Mm-hmm. It's not really one thing. It has to be all inclusive. You, you can't focus on one at the um, at the expense of the other because you're never going to be rewarded like you should have been. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I can definitely see that. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about Penn Station East Coast Subs. So Penn Station actually started in 1983 when your founder, Jeff Osterfield, he opened his first deli. He called it Jeffrey's Delicatessen in Dayton, Ohio. So what I read was it's there. He caught the bug for restaurants and high quality. But a couple of years later, he went to Philadelphia and witnessed the popularity of the cheesesteak sandwich and added it to his menu. And it was such a hit that he opened his first Penn Station in Cincinnati, Ohio in 85 with fresh cut fries that are still a mainstay. And I've seen those potatoes back there. So I know that that's true. But I have to ask, what is the East Coast style cheesesteak? Well, what I should tell you was that it was, uh, you know, Jeff, I mentioned this earlier, Jeff was very entrepreneurial. And when he graduated from from college, he went to Miami University in Ohio. And, you know, he saw all his friends going off to IBM or insert large corporation. And, you know, at the time, I mean, you know, starting salaries are 15 to $20,000. And, you know, Jeff had it in his mind that he could open a restaurant. And uh, that's how Jeffrey's Delicatessen came about, uh, you know, in the Dayton Mall. But it wasn't necessarily by happenstance that Jeff ventured up into Philadelphia. Uh, You know, he hadn't negotiated a lease before. He didn't understand site selection and location. So, you know, the mall where he was stuck him in the back corner. Mm. And it just so happened that uh, a competitor of ours happened to open up and they had a better location and they had a line and Jeff didn't. Mm. And so, uh, you know, he started serving roast beef sandwiches on uh, on bagels mm. and they were more popular than what he was selling. And so he thought, you know what, I'm going to really explore this and investigate it. He's very inquisitive by nature. Mm-hmm. So that's why he went to Philadelphia. I mean, it was it was survival mode, so to speak, because he needed to find something that worked better than what he was doing. And, uh, you know, he knew that she hadn't even heard of a cheesesteak at the time. He went along the East Coast to the Atlantic City because he knew really that's where the deli sandwiches and the fresh cut fries with, you know, malt vinegar were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he said, man, this is really good. And I think I can do it better. The name East Coast came about because Jeff wanted everybody to feel like that we were an East Coast brand, that, it, you know, it came from the, the roots of where a cheesesteak came from. And so that's why I did it. Mm-hmm. That that makes sense. And I know that East Coast style is is on the grill. Oh, they're just delicious. They put all of those ingredients together. Um, You know, I'm interested that you talked about the malt and vinegar. I remember that so many years ago. wonder why that went away. I don't know. That's a really good question. And I just think, you know, you're you're introducing something that's not necessarily uh, 
you know, indigenous to where we grew up. So, you know, I think you have to be really careful when you're producing something like that. I mean, you know, we want to have broad appeal and not regional appeal. I mean, we've all heard of Cincinnati chili. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a great product, but, you know, it's it's been more difficult as they've tried to venture three, four, five hundred miles away because people look at it just like they look at barbecue. You yeah. know, barbecue in Kansas City is different than barbecue in the Carolinas. Oh, 100 percent. You're so right about that. Interesting. So he started. Let's, let's get back to our Penn Station. He started franchising in 88. And today you have 310 restaurants right. in 15 states. So why the franchise model? That story runs really, really deep with Penn Station, and it permeates from top to bottom with everything that we do. Jeff, he he had some success, you know, when he opened his first Penn Station. It was in downtown Cincinnati. Enough success where he opened a second one, did okay, uh, opened a third. And what Jeff found is, as he bounced around from one to the other, you know, the one he would go to would be run really well, and it would have a lot of success, and the cash would hit the register, and the food would be made the way he wanted it to be made. But the other two maybe lacked a little bit. And he said, there has to be a better way to do this. So he started exploring franchising. Jeff, from the very start, he wanted an owner as close to the counter as possible because he knew if they were there, that the food would be made fresh. It would be made the way it was supposed to be made. Again, that all the cash would hit the register. You would be taken care of as a customer and the restaurant would be cleaner. So he started meeting with his attorney to discover, let's talk about this franchising model. You know, and, and, and we, we only have one company-owned unit today. We're selling return on investment. Mm-hmm. And, and our mechanism to do that happens to be, you know, cheesesteaks and fresh-cut fries and fresh-squeezed lemonade. That, that's how we do it. But, you know, we want franchisees to know that we're focusing on maximizing their return on investment. And, and there's not a rule in franchising of, gee, you should be 50% corporate-owned, 50% franchise, 80-20, whatever. Uh, You know, we just felt like we wanted franchisees to know that we were there for them. And every day that someone from corporate gets up and goes into the office, we're coming in because we want to help franchisees make more money. We want to, you know, through through the strength of the brand and what we do. That's why the franchising model for us with only the one company on unit. That's great information. And I know right now you have many territories open. What is your vision of growth? You know, I mentioned I mentioned a little bit earlier some of the struggles that we had in Dallas and Atlanta. And, and I say this humbly. We, we've always been really, really good at a lot of areas at Penn Station, but development wasn't one of them. We hired people mm-hmm. and we always had a great person in the sales role. But we never really went out and looked for someone of a strong development caliber. Mm. And, you know, back in 2018 and 19, we were working on something that we call PS 2020. And it was really just looking ahead the next 10 years of what should our menu look like. I mean, carryout was evolving. Uh, Third-party delivery was evolving. Consumer convenience was heightened more than anything. And everything that we did was really good, except development took a back seat. We were very passive about it. Mm-hmm. And we started looking around saying, this brand has so much potential. And what we're doing is we're waiting for the phone to ring. And so what we decided to do was we were going to aggressively recruit someone who had been there, done that, who knew how to do development, who knew how to put a plan in place. And the, the now president and I interviewed 15 people over the course of about nine months. And we actually interviewed a lady who had been with Papa John's for 21 years. 
instantly hit it off. I knew we would be very good for each other because I knew their culture well. And so we hired her. And we hired her, amazingly enough, we hired her in January of 2020 at the start of, you know, two months before COVID. Yeah. uh, Or excuse me, in 2021, during COVID, we interviewed. Uh, And it's been great. It's been great for us. She's done a, you know, she's brought in some other uh, team members from Papa John's and they've taught us. Uh, really how how to grow and how to grow intelligently. We, we always were good at attracting the right franchisee, but we were never aggressive about that growth. And that's why we're at 315 units as of today wow. in, in 15 states. And we're not at 3000 units because development always took a back seat for us. We had our heads under the hood trying to perfect the model is mm-hmm. basically what it boiled down to. Well, now it looks like you have a good model and, and wanting to grow maybe the reason that I noticed on your website, you're offering for new franchisees, no royalties for the first six months and a 50% reduction in the franchise fee. Is that to incent that growth? It is. It is. We want to incent franchisees to come with Penn Station and learn more about us. I mean, we're, we're, the, we're the quiet 315 unit brand. Yeah. And, you know, I take a look at uh, there's a lot of good sandwich, you know, concepts out there, but but really we're viewed more as a meal. Most sandwich chains, their typical mix between lunch and dinner are about 80, 20 or 90, 10. And and ours is 60, 40. And it's because consumers view us as a meal Mm -hmm. and it makes scheduling easier for the franchisee. There's just a lot of benefits when you're viewed that way. We finally got to the point where we would look at this white space in this 350 mile concentric circle of Cincinnati, Ohio, and we've got so much opportunity for growth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the way we've approached this model now. We're aggressively looking for the right partners to become franchisees at Penn Station. Oh, I love that. And I also like that when it comes to what makes a great Penn Station franchisee, I saw a video on your website that described you're looking for those who are crazy passionate about the food and the brand, as well as having experience as a small business, really focused on people and profit. What else would you say makes a great Penn Station franchisee? You know, you you really just you hit on something. I think it's having uh, small business experience and understanding how to hire, how to fire. Some of those conversations can be tough. We do actually personality profiles on franchisees, and we've done those for years. We we look at the traits of our most successful franchisee, and then when a new franchisee comes in, we we look to see how close they are or far apart from you know those most successful traits. But you know, franchising is really staged entrepreneurism, right? I mean, you have a system and a model that you have to follow. Right. And and part of the role of the franchisor is to protect the brand. And so what you're really looking for, I mean, the way we approach it's managed by exception. I mean, I've never been the guy to say, tell me the 50 things that are going right. I, I want to know that the two are that are wrong so we can fix it. And then we'll go fix the next two problems. Because it's staged entrepreneurism, you're looking for someone who is willing to comply with someone else's model. Right. You know, the systems and procedures, because if franchisee comes to us and they think that we should put a breakfast on the menu because they like breakfast, that then we're probably not the right model for that. That's something I teach all the time is if you're not someone who's able to follow some rules, it's probably not the right direction for you. Yeah, I could not agree with you more on that. And I've had students who say they don't think they could do that. And I said, well, it's a good thing to know that now before you would invest in something. And speaking of which, and calling through your FDD, 
it does appear you're quite prescriptive when it comes to the management of units. So you require a managing owner for each unit. Right. And then when you grow to five or more restaurants, you require an ops director. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, you've really done your homework. I will say that. <laughs> the philosophy behind that's what I said when Jeff opened his first three. It's that ownership mentality. And, and what we want is we, we want to teach you our model. I don't want to teach you the restaurant business. And when you have a managing owner who has equity in the business, they are going to care more than someone who's just drawing a wage. And so that managing owner is really the definition of the operating partner, the person who intimately understands restaurants and who's overseeing it all day, every day. And we believe if they have skin in the game, that, that she or he will do better than the one who's just drawing a paycheck. What we've learned, and we've tweaked it over the years, I mean, you know, a managing owner can really effectively oversee five to six restaurants where you're bouncing back and forth every day in a different restaurant. And then as you want to expand beyond that, it's about scale. You're better off instead of opening number six, you're better off to make the plan to get to 10 because, you know, you, you need another layer of management and that next layer of management that is that operations director. You want one culture. And if you have... 10 managers and no oversight, you, you run the risk of having 10 different cultures. So you need to have enough uh, leadership at the corporate level so that they intimately understand what's important at the corporate level. Mm -hmm. Make Totally makes sense. The one piece I wanted to touch on for sure is your royalty structure, because it was very interesting to me. The way it read is as you grow your sales, you pay a higher percent of royalties. And there's even a threshold of sales you meet before you pay any royalty. Can you explain that structure? It's what you asked the question about, about giving back with 50% franchise fee and 50% royalty or half, you know, for the first six months, no royalty. We want the franchisee to know that we're in this together. And if you're willing to, to uh, risk your capital on Penn Station, then we want you to know that we're willing to risk our capital on you. And so you may be growing in a market that's a little further away from Cincinnati and that may not have the brand recognition. We know we've got great food. And, I, and again, I say that humbly, our food tastes great. And we've heard that hundreds and hundreds of times, if not thousands of times. But going into a market and developing it, it's really about density and time. And so if a franchisee is willing to go into a new market and their sales are a little bit less, then we want to give them the opportunity to pay us less royalty so that they can reinvest those funds in their business and hopefully advertise with it and, and, and you know, use the extra cash flow to continue to grow. So that's why we did it. And, and you pointed it out. I mean, it, we had a plan that we put in place and it's actually, believe it or not, it ends in June, but it's a zero to 8% royalty. Uh, and then it goes to only 2 to 8% royalty. But it's all about giving back so that the franchisee has long-term success. And, you know, Jeff says this well because he likes to qu quote Ray Kroc. And Ray Kroc always said, if you make your franchisees money, then you're eventually going to make money. And that is our long-term vision is to make sure that we can help the franchisees maximize their return on investment. Uh, well said. Thank you for sharing that. So I'll ask you one question on support. Um, the franchise model really proved to be a solid business model during the pandemic. What did you do at Penn Station to support your franchisees during that time? You know, Kathy, it was a uh, it wasn't a stressful time internally here because we don't get stressed. I mean, you know, it's about crisis management and, you know, how to eat an elephant. I mean, it's cliche, but it's so true. It's one bite at a time. And we have a crisis management plan. And when, when 
COVID hit, we gathered everybody into the conference room here corporately about a week before and said, hey, this is what's going on. And then a week later, the governor of Ohio basically shut down all the restaurants. And so what we decided to do, Lance, I mentioned earlier, the president and I, we worked side by side in the conference room every day for six months. Hmm. There was, unless you were sick, there was not one day that a corporate employee did not come into the corporate office. Wow. And, and we wanted our franchisees to know that we were here with them and we were here leading them. And if, if I could oversimplify what I would, we put together memos that we sent out daily mm-hmm. uh, and we did it for about the first 45 days. And the focus of it was to tell the franchisees, you take care of what's inside the four walls of your restaurant and we will take care of what's outside the four walls. Mm-hmm. You take care of your crew, you take care of your customers, and we will make sure the flow of product continues to come to you. And we continued to advertise. What COVID really did, I don't know, I guess either fortunately or unfortunately, depending on what side of the table you're on, is it created the have and have nots. Mm-hmm. And and 37 years ago, Jeff did say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to build a brand that can address an international pandemic in 37 years. It's just it allowed our efficiencies to shine. And, you know, the way we approached it was we were part cop. We were part preacher. We were leaders, you know, to the franchisees. And, and you know, they, they needed support and they needed mental support as much as anything. And to say, look, we're in this together. We will make sure we're doing everything you can to keep this business going. And fortunately, we were we were rewarded. We had 2020 saw great sales for the brand from a comp store basis. And then 2021 was even better for us. And I'd like to think some of it was because of the efforts we put in place for those first six months. And, and you know, Kathy, what's been good about that is that it's a it's given us more efficiency with communicating with our franchisees today. Mm-hmm. And crisis management's interesting because it's a you never know how you're going to fight until you're in the fight. Mm-hmm. And most every one of our franchisees ran head on into it. And a few of them found out they couldn't do it. And that's where we put our arm around them and said, look, life's too short, man. I'll help you find a buyer of your restaurant. Don't mentally or physically kill yourself over this. So it allowed a lot of great benefits for us and a lot of efficiencies going down the road and going forward. Well, Don, that was a a tough time and just wonderful practices. Thank you for sharing that. And I can't believe our time is is coming to an end because I had so much more to ask you, but I'll end with two questions. So Craig, you've had a great career. What is the one thing you're most proud of? It's not financial uh, at all. It is the way I, the, all the people that I've met with over the years and, and to have people come back later on. And I've heard countless times. And again, this is very humbling for me to say, but, you know, to hear what a great person he is. He does what he says he's going to do. Uh, you know, I've always felt really good about laying my head down on the pillow at night. And, uh, you know, when you're rewarded with former franchisees telling you that and suppliers and being introduced with you guys are going to love to do business with Craig Dunaway and with Penn Station, that, that's been as rewarding as anything. It would make my mother proud. Ah, it should be. That's wonderful. That's great. And my last question I ask everyone, is there anything you wish you had known when you entered franchising? I think that I was a student of Stephen Covey later. Yeah. And, and what I wish I would have done early on was uh, thought about begin with the end in mind oh, yeah. and said to myself, what do I want this to become? And, you know, I finally was able to do that with Penn Station as, you know, running the company and say, what do we want this to become? And can we reach our potential? And what do we need to do to reach our potential? And when I was 24 years old, opening our first restaurant, we were just opening it, hoping it would be successful. 
you know, we never thought let's build a model to get to five, 10, 15, 20, or 25 units. We got there, you know, we got to 11 before we sold our, you know, our Papa John's and I got to 15 before I sold my Penn stations, but I never really began with the end in mind. And I think thinking through that and what that looks like, I would have approached it a little bit differently. You know, I'm happy with where I am, certainly. Yes. Um, but but I never had that long-term vision. And I think part of that comes with experience that you just don't know until you're you're in it every day. That's awesome. Well, Craig, I could talk to you for another hour, but we will close it out here. I can't thank you enough. And I wish our listeners could see the little sign behind you that says stop whining, because I think that does describe you. I, I can't imagine you ever whining, but thank you uh, so much. You're, you're welcome. And that was uh, given to me by a franchisee of all things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kathy. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to speak with me today. Franchise You is brought to you by the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. For more information on the center, visit business.louisville.edu slash yumcgfe. Thank you for listening to Franchise You.